from social media has enabled a more fluid and consumer-based market. Virgil Abloh, the founder of Offlight and creative director for Louis Vuitton, said there's no line between a designer and consumer, a quote which is increasingly reflective of the current social media and fashion climate. How has social media changed consumer conscience in the fashion industry? Do you think that the way that fashion companies operate has changed due to like apps like Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely changed how we perceive fashion and sort of the root of fashion and like the sort of the trends that have been developing, especially as a more technology-based and reliant society. So I think uh, as we rely on social media as a source of news, information, entertainment, um, like celebrities and things, what they wear, what they do, that influences a lot about like media and entertainment. And I think it's um, like... And I think the uh, fashion business isn't an outlier. It's pretty. It's a quite a large part of the celebrity industry as well. So um, I think when Kim Kardashian or like an Instagram model, they post something in a Fashion Nova outfit or something, sort of that normality of the trends and um, just that type of clothing that can influence a lot of people's perspective of fashion, their own style, that type yeah. of thing. True. Yeah. Like trends because of social media, like a couple of decades ago, like trends spread like one a year or something. But now because of social media, there are trends happening like several tens, like a month. You will have like yeah. a really quick change in trends because like, an influencer will post something in an outfit and then it like filters down and then all the like designers have to rush to keep up with the trends and like produce and manufacture things that you know fit the trends so I, I think it's like manufacturing and the way designers work now has to like move at a much quicker pace to keep up with how social media like influences the fashion world. Yeah, so like um, a good example of that is um, the fashion brand Prada. Mm. So prior to sort of the emergence and like the rise in popularity of social media platforms, um, Prada was like the it brand. Like everyone, yeah. everyone who was anyone wore Prada. Yeah. And then when it um, Instagram came out and people were relying more on that so that they could tell brands what they wanted and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. Prada didn't um, have an Instagram account for a really long time, mm. so they really went on it. Um, so they really suffered, and I think that that's kind of sad that brands had to, like, adapt to a social media environment. Yeah. Do you think that you have a part to play in that? You would have a part in it because you're kind of, you're encouraging the whole idea mm -hmm. and of fast fashion. Like, Prada wouldn't have been as um, quick to on the bandwagon of fast fashion because there is if like brand is more about like it being expensive and it being like one of a kind whereas fast fashion is more like this is what's popular even yeah. so they lost their accessibility because they didn't have instagram even yeah. if they're not like selling to a fast yeah. fashion based um demographic then they, they still didn't survive even though they're a luxury brand i feel like like luxury brands used to like create the trends and they would like filter down through like stores like H&M and Zara but now somebody wears something on Instagram or any other social media app and then that's what creates the trends and the yeah. ripples instead of like brands like Prada and um, Chanel like having all the control because sometimes they're a little bit lacking in like the social media department and so they kind of lost that control 
over how fashion works. Yeah. So um, a big part of that is with smaller brands um, popping up and people having the power to choose and like follow certain brands, wear their clothes. They also have like a say in how the company operates and markets. So like, um, for example, like brands like, you know, Fenty by Rihanna. Yeah. Um, they're really based on this whole idea of inclusivity and diversity, but that's because Rihanna's audience wanted that. Mm. So like, yeah, like do you think that diversity has really improved in the fashion industry or just in the smaller fast fashion brands? I think over just a timeline of fashion and where it's at, I think it's definitely improved, mm. even if it's for financial gain, like mm. not for moral, like a sort of it's moral to aspect. capture a large audience. Yeah, exactly. So most brands market this type of way to be more diverse and all of that uh, to reach a wider audience, especially the younger generations who are all about inclusivity. I mean, we're the most diverse generation, so... Mm -hmm. And they've obviously found a demographic in minorities recently with um, some brands going with darker shades of foundation, mm -hmm. uh, like creams that uh, can specialize in certain areas, hiring models that don't necessarily have Eurocentric features, those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that smaller brands, this sort of proved that there is a market in minorities. Like uh, Fenty Beauty was the only, like one of the big, like they were the biggest beauty brand that showed there was a demographic, mm. you know what I mean? And then all of these other brands sort of found that type of pattern. I think that it, even if the companies are doing it just to um, like capture a large audience, it's still forcing like big corporations to accept like minorities and um, like really cater to them and so even if it is just really for like commercial gain it still gives consumers what they ask for and what they want yeah but there is a problem with that mm -hmm. because if if brands decide oh let's put diversity let's um push let's put more, more models of color in our like advertising campaigns so that we can make money so mm -hmm. that we can appeal to a yeah. wider audience you have to like pose the question um does it become a marketing ploy like is it actually diversity if they're only including people for sort of token reasons? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you'll see heaps of, like, Victoria's Secret recently just got their, like, their first trans model, and it's like, she's like, oh, we're diverse. Look, we have a trans girl in our show. And then, but, like, they're still, ref like, refusing, flat out refusing to put out any plus-size models, anybody, everybody who is like a model for them, even if they are trans, if they're like of color, they still fit a very, Euro like they're very European features, they are still like like a standard of classical beauty, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, it's just, Western. it's all still the same streamline, even if it is diverse, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like they're fostering like inclusive environments in mm. their brands. It's like, if you are a minority, you still have to look like this, you still have to do yeah. this, if you I was watching this interview last night, um, and it was with a dude, a Tesh or something. Do you know her? She's a, she's an Australian model. She's Sudanese, um, and she was saying that even though brands have like become more diverse mm -hmm. and like she's um, dark skinned, um, they always mistake her for someone else. They mm -hmm. always mistake her for another mm -hmm. dark skinned model. Like all the white girls, all the white models, they're all like 
fine and they all are respected as individuals, but then like all the minorities are sort of pushed aside. And it, while they're included and they're important for the money, they're not treated really as like humans. Yeah, like um, I can't remember the name of the model, but uh, she said she was working on a campaign for like, what was it? I think it was Maybelline. And she was treated as more like how, like you know how like the model wears the makeup. That's yeah. what they're trying to sell. They're, they're trying to sell the fact that she is a dark-skinned model who wears this makeup instead yeah. of a woman who wears this makeup. Yeah. So they couldn't find the proper, like, brushes, the skin tone, all of that just for her, and she is the model. Mm. And um, even then, after the entire campaign had finished, they really reduced her, um, like, uh, public image. Mm. So all of the more fair-skinned or white models, they got to build a brand upon themselves as a model. Yeah. Like uh, Gigi Hadid, all these very beautiful models, like white women, they got to build a brand for themselves and a reputation. But a lot of uh, smaller black minority models, when they're used for a campaign, they're used for a diversity campaign. Mm. So, And they're not even sort of like, their reputation is built from being a diverse campaign, yeah. not as yeah. a model. They're not just models, they're like... Um, like people of color who are models or they're like trans exactly. models they're just yeah they're not treated the same as like any other white girl model they're just mm -hmm. they have to be like um a black model or like an asian model like whatever like it's not just a model if you know yeah. what i mean exactly. yeah um there was um vogue so vogue italy they published a while ago they published um the curvy issue and the black issue so the black issue had like models, like all the models were black. They were um, like Naomi Campbell, mm -hmm. like Tyra Banks. Yeah. Um, and then the curvy one had models like um, Robin Lawley and stuff. Um, but it was so, like people, people when they first bought these magazines and they saw that the, the Vogue was pushing um, diversity, they thought, wow, is this a promise towards diversity and representation in the media? Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't. After that, like the model, the all the Vogue issues that have like um, followed it, sorry, um, have all just been like white thin models. Yeah. Yeah. Should we call it? No. Yeah. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I think that Vogue campaigning, like, I think that type of issue was a really. I think it's a good way to show the prominence of these many models, help them with their careers. It's a really expressive way to show all of these amazing strong models in that industry but it doesn't it's not meant to be reduced to their like their specific category as a person yeah. so if you do a black issue that doesn't excuse doing a primarily white issue for the majority yeah. of your magazines it's not an apology it's not oh it's okay we're kind of inclusive yeah you know you can't, you can't do like a black issue and then keep doing you have to like show that you appreciate black models and then keep appreciating black models. Like, you don't just do it once and think, oh, that's that's fine, I'm not racist anymore. Like, <laughs> you just, you have to, like, keep on being inclusive. You can't just do it once for a token and then, like, be done with it. It should, yeah, exactly. So it should be, that type of issue, it should be a celebration of mm. these women, not just All men. Saying, oh, I pinky promise I'm not racist. Look. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Look. Yeah. It's kind of like that whole idea that they, they, it's kind of also looking into the buyer thing. Like mm. they would put this issue out, and then people would buy the next issue, thinking, "Oh, they're gonna do this again. They're gonna be more inclusive." And then it's not. And they're like, oh, 
mm-hmm. I just caught this issue and now I don't. Yeah. Like, there's no one who's looks like me or there's no one who is from that category anymore. So, like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, the brands, like, you know Victoria's Secret, so they've basically built their success selling this sort of ideal of a fantasy to women, sort of selling products based on their insecurities. Um, and it's, you mentioned that there was a trans model that, that was hired, but actually they've, I think they've cancelled the show. Really? Yeah, the Victoria's Secret show was cancelled for 2019. And they said, um, Ed Razik, he's the... He was the guy who said all the things about um, it's a fantasy, we don't want to include transsexuals in our show. Yeah, they can't uh, sell the fantasy or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, he stepped down the day after the trans model was hired. Um, Also, Victoria's Secret stock prices have been plummeting. Mm. Like, I think they closed, like, 50 stores last year. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they're doing really badly, and and their main source of, Press and media coverage came from their um, show, their annual yeah, show. Yeah. Um, so now that it's closed, it sort of opens up this question: like, can brands even survive if they're not diverse? Yeah. Well, I think in that particular instance, it showed that their like inclusivity type of thing was a marketing ploy, yeah. and it was so obvious that they cancelled the show with the trans model, mm-hmm. especially with such a was he like a the like that spokesperson right. yeah he was like yeah. a high position yeah especially with such a high position when he spoke so like confidently about that and then them ultimately backtracking and not hiring the model and all of that that kind of just shows that it's like that we have more of a voice mm-hmm. social media doesn't only like show accessibility and provide all of these essentials to brands it brings us closer to them mm-hmm. And I think um, it kind of shows that brands, like, with that connection strengthening yeah. and more power being given to the consumer, I think they won't be able to survive mm-hmm. in that this type of climate, like the social media climate, you know? Yeah. I think social media puts a lot of pressure on brands to be diverse and inclusive, which is obviously, like, a really good thing. Like, I remember, I think it was Beauty Blender put out mm-hmm. new foundations and their shade range was... Like, there were, like, 15 shades or something. Ten of them were white. And then the last five were orange. And they were supposed <laughs> to be, like, the darker shades. That's and so Beauty, Ble- like, they got they got called out. They retracted the foundation line. Like, everything changed just because of, like, the backlash from the internet. So I definitely think it's important that, like, the consumers now have a lot more power. We're able to give feedback and have it heard and acted upon. Whereas if... It was like social media wasn't so prevalent. I don't think that would have been as an easy thing, as much of an easy thing to do. Okay, um, so we are talking about the power of like consumers, especially since social media. So I'm going to throw out this idea of a democratic fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Like, so the whole idea that the consumers vote, not literally, um, but they vote and choose what brands, what political parties stay. Yeah. Like, do you think, like, to what extent is that true? Like, do you think that social media could do more? Or are there other ways to get diversity and inclusivity recognised? I think it's probably not the only way. Like, I know that there are lots of smaller brands who have, like, 
started out being more inclusive and diverse as um, like with an objective to cater to all audiences, which I think is really important. Like we're coming into like a new age or something where like the goal is to be inclusive, not just for profit. Yeah. And so there's a lot of new brands coming up that don't aren't inclusive just because they're being pressured to be inclusive by social media. And I think a lot of them don't get enough recognition. I mean, there's a bit of like a cancel culture. Yeah. So if like you, if a brand doesn't follow the guidelines of what's like morally correct, then you like people stop following like. So I definitely think there's a lot of power in social media and the cancel culture does play into it a lot. Like, and it can also become like sort of a movement. Like you yeah. cancel someone because everybody else is like discontinuing use of their products or whatever. Yeah, so um, this whole idea of cancel culture, like if you think of um, Karl Lagerfeld, like mm -hmm. so when he died, um, a, a lot of things that weren't, that were sort of suppressed in the media, like a lot of... Um, allegations that he was, um, he said some pretty foul things about women. Mm. Um, like, do you think that the people that get cancelled, like, I don't know how to explain this, but, like, because he died, do, like, do you think there are still things that safeguard influential and famous and powerful people like Karl Lagerfeld? So, like, like, people didn't come out like, and say that uh, things... We, we can say, like, cancel culture is, like, prevalent and it's good and then, like, people like Kat Von D or something get cancelled. Um, I'm not saying it's but to, like, what good necessarily, I'm saying. Well, some, for some... It's yeah, good for some, some people. Yeah. But then people like Karl Lagerfeld, who, who, like, retained, managed to their whole life retain a position of such power. Mm. Oh. Like, he was um, creative director of Chanel and Fendi. Mm -hmm. Like, he had his own Karl Lagerfeld brand. And... and like, models, celebrities, everyone adored him. Yeah. Like, no one ever questioned when he said, um, like, oh, if you don't want to work with me, go join a nunnery if you don't want your pants pulled down or something. Mm. Um, and then, like, when he died, it all came out. So, well, like, I see cancel culture's, like, not necessarily as effective as I think that we'd all want to, to believe it is. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely think that a lot of information doesn't get out, but I think part of the part, part of the, like, that plays into the Carl Lagerfeld thing was everybody was, like, looking back on his life, remembering, like, what he did, what he said, and that might have, like, come up as a thing, like, oh, remember that time when he said something, like, really sexist, and everyone's like, oh, you know? Yeah. Like, with power and stature comes, like, a certain, um, you know, just, like, with stature comes power, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. And it's, like, all his, the very powerful p people that that was, like, his community, who he could, he, who he could, like, rely on, all these models who were, like, for him, who adored him, these industry professionals. It's because a lot, a lot of the times he built their career and helps them succeed in the industry, so they feel like they have an obligation to him. To be, uh, to you know, to be loyal to him and what he's built, and even the things that he's done, even if it undermines their own personal moral standings on things. But I think that that obligation wears off when someone dies, because it's like the person can't personally, like that relationship you build, it can't negatively impact you as if when he was alive. You're able to see clearly once his influence is like retracted. Yes, yeah, exactly. So 
Yeah, it's that more like glorification of the person because they're so successful and they're so prominent in whatever you're doing that you kind of view them as more than yourself. Like, like what Amali said, if the person helped you, then you kind of look up to them. But if they do these bad things, it kind of just goes past you because you're not looking at that part of them. Yeah, so, so what I'm trying to relate the whole Carl Lagerfeld thing is is to luxury fashion brands. Like, like um, Fashion Nova, like all the sort of um, brands that, like H&M, Zara, they have so much reliance upon social media. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of consumerism. But, like, high fashion brands seem to sort of be above it. Mm. And, like, it's good because they want to, like, retain some exclusivity, but they also it means that it's really hard for them to um, understand the same levels of um, cultural sensitivity, representation, and diversity. So, like, for example, Gucci, so Alessandro Michele, like, he really loves other cultures, but, like, when he puts out his looks on the runways, like, he's put out turbans and, like, but he's put them out on white models. Yeah, there's a special, like, uh, Nepalese pattern that was very sacred to a specific community. He put that on, like, a very, like, a poncho thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I Yeah, saw that. and it was on a skinny European model instead, and he didn't credit that community at all, despite having researchers, like... They didn't credit the, uh, the community at all. They didn't, like, even communicate that it was inspired by something they just simply took the design and I don't feel like that's an effective way in any form like without cancel culture without all of the stuff that's not a proper way to credit things especially with its religious and cultural significance so I think you can have an appreciation for these cultures but that was like a prime um like a prime example of cultural appropriation it doesn't always have to be that minority group being um like uh, disc- like disgraced, it was also like discredited as well. Yeah, yeah. So we're basically talking about um, social media and its influence in like smaller fashion brands, and then we're sort of saying that oh, this um, influence doesn't necessarily reach to high fashion brands who sort of seem to ignore the notions of um, diversity and inclusivity, um, especially when it comes to cultural appropriation. Like they don't seem to be like mainly predominantly white male creatives. Mm continually seem to um, take inspiration from like tribal communities, minorities, and then they put it on the runway and they sell it, and like usually on white models and stuff. Yeah. I think it's like this notion of like untouchability of like fashion, like really high fashion brands like Prada and Gucci, because they're so expensive and like luxury, it's like a sense of, I don't know, it's like you can't really say no to them. Like, it's it's them that built the fashion industry and you can't tell them that they're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There's also all those celebrities that do it, like mm. Katy Perry, she wore the kimono. And yeah. Of her things. Madonna is very renowned for her cultural, her cultural appropriation. Like, she'll wear bindis and, like, all these different cultural, like, significant things for religion and whatever and she won't even realize what she's doing to that community yeah i think she wore the like there's a specific pattern for when you are getting married in a like the hindu religion and you have a very specific design for the and she, yeah and she wore it uh just for a performance mm-hmm. so that was kind of just like discrediting its cultural significance
it's like she just wore it because it looked nice and complimented her outfit, like that type of thing. Another thing I think we have to be sorry. Another thing I think we have to be cautious of when we discuss cultural appropriation is it's very hard when you're not part of the minority. You're not part of the people who they've taken some aspect of their culture to make, to sell to make money. Like some, like I can see that some people might think that oh they're appreciating our culture. I feel like appreciating is like you're giving credit and you're making it about the culture. You're like. You're talking about why you used it and like how it's important and like cultural yeah yeah like how it's significant to you and like how, why you wanted to like present it in that way to other people. I think it's really bad when people like take designs and stuff that people would usually be like, oh, that's like unprofessional or that's weird, and then now that like some like white or like a different cultures used it without giving credit, it's like cool and it's like hip and trendy, mm-hmm. and it's like. It's just bad. Like, you know yeah. when, like, Kim K, like, had, like, the cornrows and stuff? Yeah, the edges. And everyone was like, oh, like, a new hairstyle. Like, this is so cool. This is what she called in. them Bo Derek braids. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, in some places, like, um, black women can't even wear that to work because it's unprofessional. It's not suited mm-hmm. to the environment. I think it's just... Like, when a white woman wears it, it's, like, high fashion. But when yeah. somebody who wears it, that it's actually, they're from that culture, it's, like, unprofessional and... Looked yeah. down upon. There was yeah. like the 2013 Mark Jacobs show. Mm-hmm. They had like Gigi Hadid and Kendall Jenner. They had the like dread. all these like high profile yeah. like models, and they all had dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. And like they literally didn't have like any. I'm not, as I'm, I'm not aware that they had any African American mm-hmm. models. Or, yeah. 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 That's a culture that wears dreads. Oh yeah. yeah. And also like um, it's just I remember all of these news outlets that um like bring that to the media they're saying oh wow they look beautiful it's very exotic very mm-hmm. nice and then the same media outlets are discrediting black influencers or uh like people of color that wear the same thing because it's important to their culture or just like teenagers mm-hmm. wearing the thing and they say this is ghetto this is disgusting yeah. this yeah. is unprofessional but i hate when like big brands or like just media outlets be like this is exotic this is like mm-hmm. something yeah. new and different like Zendaya at the Met Gala, like she, um, I think she wore like a Dolce and Gabbana, like that big yellow dress, but like red. And she, her hair, she was just like, it was like her natural hair. Yeah. And then Vogue was like, wild, different, (laughs) and I was like, is it brave for a woman to wear her natural hair? Yeah, exactly. But I feel like also saying exotic kind of like isolates and like alienates that Mm. from like the rest of pop. Saying it's like different or like. Like not saying something's wild kind of means like oh it could be bad like it's like not that it's yeah. different. like it's not it's part like, of us yeah. exactly yeah, yeah it's 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 unaccepting almost it's like oh it's different like it's bordering on something that I would not accept yeah. but like it's okay you but know it's still yeah. different it's like, like yeah. uh, we don't accept it as the Western ideology of fashion but it's nice you know it's separate it doesn't include it yeah. as an ideal of fashion or yeah. beauty yeah. yeah um. Okay, I have, like, a different sort of point that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people discuss the notion of, like, power dressing, they always, like, this is the thing, like, when people, women, they're like, oh, I want to feel empowered, and so I wear a suit. Yeah. Haven't you heard, have you heard that? Yeah. Um, so it's basically, they, I don't like dressing, it's like, yeah, yeah. so it's like people, they want to feel powerful in their clothing yeah. and their choices of expression, and they always wear, like, masculine styles of clothes. Yeah, like, they're like, oh, like a glass. Like, so they go, like, oh, um, 
like I've seen it so many times. Like when women wear suits, they're like, "Oh, she's power dressing." Yeah, it's a power suit. Yeah, it's a power that. suit. That's why why can't um, it be like a power suit is or like power dressing being high heels and whatever, uh, dress, exactly. like, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Like and it forces that. It's yeah. like the stereotypical masculine role. Yeah, yeah. as the powerful one. Exactly. It's also hard to distinguish whether it's coming from men's fashion or the word like like from masculinity or from it being masculine mm -hmm. because uh, feminine is seen as, you know, light, uh, like not as like strong and bold as masculine, like as a word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to see when brands are trying to make it make power suits all those to cater to like men's fashion rather than the term masculinity. Mm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And they're associating power with masculinity. Mm -hmm. Like when you exactly and it's quite a subtle thing that I'm bringing up. Like it's yeah. not something that's um hugely pressing, but I think it demonstrates a lot of the attitudes that people have about fashion and clothing and self expression. Yeah. And especially with women. Like women I feel are really heavily critiqued in the media about what they wear. Mm. Yeah. Even like female, I remember when Julia Gillard, Gillard was, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to ask her, was, um, <laughs> you would see her on the news and every single time she was like in a press conference, somebody would ask her who she was wearing or like describe what she was wearing today. And you never, ever, ever see that with any male politicians. And it just goes to like show how women, like she was in like the highest position of power in the country and she was still being judged and objectified based on what she was wearing. And then it's like so not the point, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I feel like that whole kind of like concept kind of makes women feel like if they're in a powerful position, like they're not going to be taken seriously if mm. they wear something that's like flowy or like a dress or anything like that. So like, it disconnects yeah, feminine. <laughs> it disconnects femininity from like power. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was like a study conducted where they had uh, two actors come into a workplace and like the boss knew about it and all that. And one was wearing very quite masculine clothes, suits, ties, those types of things. Um, and then the other was wearing like uh, like female work clothes, like a, like a pencil skirt and like yeah. a blouse. And uh, it was seen that the feminine one was being objectified behind her back. She wasn't taken seriously, even though she was meant, she was scripted to have the more powerful ideas, right? And then the masculine one, she was being more respected. She was being more outspoken. But they also objectified her in her own outfit and said she's trying to be a man, she's trying to do this, she's trying to like correlate there is all those balance things. As well. Yeah, exactly. Never, I think you should wear whatever you feel you like identify with, whatever you like. It's like gender expression is whatever you want it to be. Like if you want to wear masculine clothes, fine. If you want to wear feminine clothes, fine. Except there's just so much judgment about when you do so. Like even if you are wearing like a power suit or whatever because it makes you feel powerful, you're like trying too hard or like your boss, you're, you're not last there. <laughs> um, um, but like if you're feminine, you're like a pushover, you're too nice or whatever. Yeah, like, you're like and so no matter, you, there's really no balance. No matter how you work it, you're still being judged. And w women actually have more power than they do. Like, you know, when people think of Jacqueline Kennedy, they think um, like, oh, she... Like, she was sort of the start of it, I think. Like, she was the first um, first lady. Everyone judged her. Everyone was, like, really focusing on what she wore. Like, yeah. her, um, those tweed suits. Yeah. Um, but women aren't in a position where they're just married to the president anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like, we've had a female prime minister. Mm. Hopefully, soon, 
maybe like next election we'll have a female president. Mm -hmm. um, so women are in positions of power and like it's not society's role to be judging her based on what she's wearing anymore. Judge her on her morals, how she speaks, who she is as a person. Same her policies, her government. Yeah, those are Hillary. far more important things than what she's wearing. Yeah, exactly. It's um, women are always taken more at surface value than what they actually have to say. Like even before you get into what your policies are, what you think, and what you believe matters, it's like what, like you have to get through what's on the yeah. surface. You know? Yeah, because especially in like uh, speaking politically. Women, like the uh, the wives of these political candidates, they were seen as an accessory to the candidate. Mm. And what it's sort of like the background information you got, how they ran their home, how they treated their wives, how they treated their children, they're not that accessory anymore. They're like the first ladies, like especially Michelle Obama, she put a lot of her um, educational policies, health, those types of things. Um, but now the media is translating that, so even when they are the candidate, they're still being objectified and judged and seen as what like what they do at home their domestic values rather than their policies mm. you know yeah and it's really something that's like continued on and people really haven't stopped yeah like people just joke about but they still like women are just so heavily critiqued for what they wear yeah. and i don't necessarily think that it's bad that women are critiqued for what they wear i just think if they are men should be too okay so I think that we've discussed some really good things today about like f feminism, fashion, cultural appropriation, and the influence of social media um, in the fashion industry. Um, I hope that lots can improve in the future, and thank you all for